Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Biz Dads. Andres and Brad back with you this week. We took a little unexpected hiatus, so thanks for your patience with us. We'll talk more about that as we get into the show. A lot of exciting stuff. Uh, Andres and I are going camping this weekend, so we're going to have to talk about that. We've got our normal sports and biz news, a new segment with Andres, books with Andres. I'm going to learn how to read one day or another, as impressive as Andre's reading habit is. A very difficult but necessary cul-de-sac chat this week, and we'll jump into our final four. What apps can you not live without? Let's get into it. This week's Biz Dads. All right, Andre's. so we had a little hiatus last week. That's all on me. My apologies to our listeners, but I got to thank you for bearing with me it was a crazy week a lot of a lot of crazy stuff happening you'll hear a little bit more about kind of what was going down as we jump into our cul-de-sac chat but you know sometimes i think you just need a little mental break from uh, from some of this stuff and while we love putting it together you know it's definitely you know part of a very already busy schedule with kids practices and kids school and homework and work for me and life and all that other stuff so thanks for uh, for the break last week how was your weekend Weekend was good. Weather, I mean, this is like my favorite time of the year in Georgia in, in the spring uh, and the fall, right before it gets, you know, wet and cold in November. So, yeah, we had a ton of soccer games and all the parents that I spoke to over the last uh, week were, you know, at, basically at ball fields if their kids are playing sports or doing makeups because of all the rain that we've had. But it was a good weekend. We're in the middle of our, our fundraiser for school. We started that. Uh, Support the Pride is our campaign. Go to kingspringsfoundation.org if you'd like to make a donation. So we kicked that off last week. So there is a lot going on. Um, and we got some important stuff to talk about on our show tonight but it was a good weekend how about you it was a good weekend it was a busy one man we um you know we had kids sports all weekend long we had um flag football which uh was intense we had a kid get hurt uh which you never want to see but um the kid you know dove for the end zone and you know was intense and he's a great athlete and you just hate seeing a kid get hurt emotions ran high there for a bit but um yeah we got into some finally playing a little bit with Andrew too and he really got into it which is a lot of fun I think you know we're trying to always find something that Andrew wants to do and get get excited about um hopefully he's getting more and more into baseball and he had a pretty decent game Saturday but then we had another tournament on Sunday with Ben and it was a late late deal you know so and and we'll talk more about what I did Sunday morning uh, later on but it was uh it was just one of those busy weekends you know the kids didn't get to bed till late on Sunday so the week was off to a fast-paced start. Yeah, I, I, I know that uh, many of many Braves uh, sports fans, you know, were highly invested in in the NLCS and stayed up late Friday, late Saturday watching the Georgia game, and then Sunday Falcons game, and then the game seven of the NLCS. I think, ironically, the only team out of all those that ended up winning was the Falcons with a new coach and a new GM. It was just a tough weekend if you're if you're a sports fan. But we also have a milestone to celebrate, Mr. Olecki. I don't know if you know this, but today's show is show number 25. Oh, man, the silver anniversary. Exciting I don't, stuff. I don't think we have any champagne. I don't drink, but, you know, <laughs> we, we should have at least marked this occasion with something. Who well, congratulations. thought we make it this far? Yeah, congratulations to you too, sir. And we still have those same six or seven listeners loyally listening. So thank all of you. We'll, ne- we'll start naming you by name here. We, we don't want to dwell on too much sports, but, I mean, are, is is Atlanta just a cursed sports town? I think I may be the problem, man. You know, I'm, again, I'm a Browns fan, so Cleveland and an Indians fan, so we all know Cleveland is cursed, right? The Indians haven't won a World Series since 1948. The Browns have never been to a Super Bowl, one of only, I think, three teams in the NFL. And the Falcons just continue. I mean, between the Bulldogs completely crapping the bed uh, in the second half of that football game, against the tide this the the streak is now what 22 of nick saban against his protégés and nobody can beat him needless to say this whole covid thing was probably a big crock you know what you know he, he got a false positive um which i would imagine you know look got he's he doesn't look it but he's up there in age and you don't ever, ever want anybody to get sick but man that was all the media hubbub um going into that game and 
Georgia just didn't show up. I'm not sold on that quarterback yet. I love his spirit, but I think you got to have a rock star back there um, in order to beat Alabama. You know, in terms of the Falcons, you know, new coach, new GM, we mentioned it, but uh, but Mr. Arthur Blank continues to show his generosity to to Atlanta and its institutions. Tell me about this big uh, this this big gift. Um, you know, the Blank Foundation has been an incredible supporter of this community for years. Not only, you know, whatever you want to say about the Falcons and the United, it's very rare to have an owner as engaged as he is without being, you know, more trouble than, than, than good. But he also has continued, whether it be on the West side with you know, the development of Mercedes Benz stadium, obviously um, what he's doing on West side Atlanta with Dan Cathy and James Quincy Coca-Cola and others is just absolutely fantastic. But to give $200 million of his money to children's healthcare of Atlanta is pretty spectacular. So the new hospital is going to be called the Arthur M. Blank Children's uh, Children's Hospital, which is by far the largest gift children's or CHO as we call it here has ever gotten. Um, you know, children's has made a positive impact in all of our lives, right? We've all had our kids there at some point. If you live in Metro Atlanta and you need anything from stitches to you know, worse illnesses, you take your kids to children's. They're the most trusted by far. But I mean, to, to just $200 million, think about how big of an impact that is. It's a billion dollar hospital, if I remember correctly. But I mean, to have 20% of it covered by one donor, that is unbelievable. And he followed it up with, you know, he follows it up with other donations, um, being continuing to be supportive. What an amazing guy. What an amazing pillar in our community. Yeah, when we get to see, you know, the impact uh, that 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 hospital will have, um, not only in the lives of of kids um, battling, you know, sometimes life threatening or terminal illnesses. But I mean, just just the the impact uh, in terms of employment. I mean, I'm going right by that hospital literally every day into Sandy Springs and you look around at all the buildings and there's many empty parking lots, but the one that is full is the hospital. So, yeah. you know, in, in, uh, in many respects, I mean the, the, just the economic impact, um, that it has. So yeah, kudos to, uh, kudos to him. There's also some other stuff that, that, you know, has, has hit the news over the last couple of days. I mean, Google got hit with an antitrust lawsuit. Uh, if you remember back in the, the Microsoft days, you know, they uh, they faced a ton of pressure from the EU. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, could be the first of, of several of the big tech giants to face um, pressure from from uh, the Department of Justice. And then uh, there's there's this emerging story. I, I don't know uh, how much play it's gotten in the national media yet, but I was I was uh, looking through the news this afternoon and I saw that Leading up to the election, you know, there's been nonstop coverage of this resurgence in COVID, right? Um, it's yeah. been hitting the Midwest pretty hard. Um, I don't know. Some people are calling it a third wave. Um, it seems like Georgia's been holding steady for the most part. I mean, I don't know about your school, but at, at our school, we so far are crossing our fingers. We haven't had any, we haven't heard anyway of any, of any cases. How are things me, at Nickajack? Let me ask you a question about this. From, from what I can tell, Nickajack... I think last week they went with zero cases. I think there had been a few small cases the week before. But here's a question for you. Um, there's been some pushback by parents who have challenged the standard operating procedure of not notifying parents who are non-affected or whose kids are non-affected by the virus when it's in the school. So your kid's in third grade, a fifth grader test positive or a teacher in the fifth grade test positive only those people who've been directly connected to that child or that teacher are notified no names you know all, all of that that's all protected the parents are all throwing a little bit of a fit in that um the principal had to come out and say you know look we're this is our procedure we're not going to notify everyone just because there's a positive case which i totally agree with but how do you feel about that would you want to know every single detail about what's going on in your kid's school if someone tests positive or if there are any issues with it whatsoever? No, I, I wouldn't. I mean, because I think it would make me more paranoid. I mean, we made the decision last week. Uh, we're, we, you know, we're taking, I would call it more baby steps. I mean, the kids are back in school face to face, but we had taken them to school the first two weeks, I think. Um, and then last week they started riding the bus. And uh, it's crowded when they get on in the morning, but, you know, they're masked up and 
it seems to be going okay. But no, I, I wouldn't want to know. What our principal said um, is basically she was going to follow, you know, health guidelines and the authorities, you know, would basically be the ones communicating to parents. From my understanding, it was if you've been directly affected, you'd get notified. Um, If they think you potentially had contact, maybe in the lunchroom, for example, uh, because your child was maybe sitting near uh, that, you know, person, whether it's a teacher, staff, et cetera, you, you would get notified and then. If yeah, if there weren't, if they weren't even in the building, they wouldn't, they wouldn't send a note home. So I, I guess I'd be okay with that. We don't all have to know everything. It, that's that's just the nature of I think our society and and these people who continue to challenge the policies that have put in place are just slowing down the recovery, in my opinion. But it was just interesting to me because I saw a lot of people who were commenting on it. Of course, I get probably more angry at the Facebook posts on the school feed than I do anything um, because it's usually the people that. Uh, I don't really go or post, but when I put myself through the the ringer to actually sit down and read it, I end up getting more frustrated than not because those people and I aren't usually seeing eye to eye. But look, I know everybody wants to be protected. Um, you know, so and it's really interesting as you look at some of these cases here locally. I mean, we're, our numbers are going down kind of where we live. How are your kids dealing with the mask? Have you had talks with them at all about um, having to wear masks. Have you had any complaints? Cause I know my boys have kind of not at all said anything other than we just hate that we have to wear it outside when we're out playing in the playground. They have been pretty resilient. It's pretty amazing how well the kids have handled all this craziness. Yeah, no, good to hear. No, it's, it's really not been an issue. I mean, even Maximo, our, our youngest one, when we're at uh, soccer games, they have been pushing uh, parents and spectators that are on the sidelines to wear masks. So that that's that's been a development over the last two or three weeks. And you see most people complying. I mean, kids on the playground, you know, at six and seven years old and under, it's probably not as consistent. But but even Maximo at four is he's been pretty good, a pretty good mask wearer. Um, so no, it's it's kind of been a non-issue uh, for our kids. Yeah, well, hopefully it continues to be. And you know what I really am interested in more than anything is when do we get to move beyond? I saw, I heard a really interesting survey today, and I want to pick your thoughts on this, and not to get political, but the question, um, I think it was NPR I was listening to. I, I can't remember what it was, but they said there was a survey done asking Americans uh, on whether or not they would take the vaccine. And it was all, the questions varied based on who endorsed the vaccine? And it was by far the lowest number of people who said if President Trump endorsed the vaccine and it got fast tracked, less people would take the vaccine, meaning that those types of variables are going to impact how the world uh, responds to taking the vaccine. And again, you know, my my view on a lot of this stuff, we're over over communicated with uh, with the 24 hour news cycle. But what do you think? What impacts whether or not you take the vaccine? So, so I'll tease out my answer because we 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 are going to do a book with Andres, and one of the books I'm going to recommend or that I recommend um, is a leadership. It's a how to lead book, and one of the profiles is of Dr. Anthony Fauci. So, when I read the background of the of Dr. Anthony Fauci and the amount of credibility, honestly, that he brings to the table. Um, A, it's kind of sad to see what's happened over the last few weeks and how he's being, you know, unfortunately being kind of maligned in in the media. Um, And then, you know, I guess my answer to your question, Brad, is when he comes out and says, you know, or or people in, in, you know, his peers come out and say, you know, these virus uh, vaccines you know, we, we would endorse them. I, and I don't know if they will. Um, but when, when the scientific community comes out and says, you know, thumbs up, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> and so that may mean yeah. I'm not first, but you are regardless of really what you hear, a vaccine comes out, you're in you, if it's, if it's endorsed by a Fauci and the medical community yeah, somebody says, in the medical community who I probably have, you know, Clearly, I don't have nearly their their level of expertise and their their level of insights and knowledge and such. Then, yeah, for me, it's kind of like the harder question is when I give it to my kids. You know, I mean, I don't know. So, yeah, it's it, a great question. 
and and hard hard to know. I mean, you know, should it go to, you know, people that are frontline workers and essential workers? Probably for sure. Um, it's going to be a difficult ethical debate, right? What do you think the the population of people who have this somewhat of a conspiracy theory? Because I'm not going to lie to you, it has crossed my mind whether or not I would take this thing, just because I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I, our kids are vaccinated. I am. I and, and you know, but this is just such a weird scenario. There, mm-hmm. there seems to be so many questions. The medical community has, for the most part, talked about how you know real and legitimate this is, and you have to trust that. The CDC and, and the World Health Organization and those types of groups have come out, and for the most part, that's given me confidence to understand that this thing is true. But I'd be lying if I told you if I told you I didn't think uh, from time to time that there were a couple, you know, question marks in my head. There were a couple, you know, why is this thing? at being treated so differently than so many of the other potential pandemics that have happened with SARS and, you know, uh, you name it, the ones that have come out over the last, you know, decade or so. Uh, it's just, it just, I don't understand why I have that question. And I think it really boils down to the fact that I'm hearing different stories from all different angles, whether you're, and it comes across political lines, which is the most unfortunate part. I really just wish there was actually an outlet out there with fair and fair and balanced information that just said simply, here are the absolute facts. And I didn't right. have to get it over the internet. Or I didn't have to get it through a news channel that had been slanted in some way. I probably just need to read more. So I haven't gotten a flu shot yet. And here we are in, you know, the, the last couple, 10 days of October. And honestly, the reason I didn't is I had a conversation with a family member and it was like, well, I'm going to wait. And I heard on TV from a so-called expert that, you know, this year is better to wait and get the you know, flu vaccine. So I'm probably being irresponsible. And I think about the vaccine and I am going to get a flu shot. Go to Publix free and get yeah, a $10 gift card. That's right. Um, so and I do get one every year. But but my point is, it's hard to get people a to go to the doctor. It's hard to get people to which is one of the reasons we've had so many deaths due to COVID is there were a lot of people that had, you know, bad underlying health conditions or they had underlying conditions they didn't know about. But it's hard to get people to go to the doctor, even when it's in their own best interest, even when it's free. It's hard to get people to go take a flu shot. I really wonder with how difficult it's been from a public health perspective to just get people to kind of do what's in the collective best interest, which is socially distant, wear a mask, don't go out when you're sick. You know, do some of those basic things. It, you know, is the vaccine going to be any different? Like, I think there's going to be people who just say, no, I don't need it. And there's going to be people who are first in line. And you're going to have, you know, people that are against it. And you're going to, it's just, it's it's the reality of how it works. So, yeah. and again, more to come. It'll all be talked, it'll all be told to you, depending on what channel you watch or what radio station you listen to. Let's talk a little bit about our Braves. And we talked a little bit about Atlanta's curse. You know, I am, I, I, I'm heartbroken. We got into the Braves, really. And I don't know what was different about it. Um, but we went over there, watched one of the games on the, you know, on the Jumbotron, um, not inside the stadium, but outside. We, you know, we, we let Ben stay up and watch the games. Andrew would watch a little bit of it. Then he would go to bed. We, you know, we took some time to, to really invest in what was going on with the Braves. And it was just such a shame that I think only the fourth time in history, or maybe it was the 14th time in history, either way, a very low number, a team that was up 3-1, lost. Um, the Braves aren't in the, aren't in the World Series, which starts tonight. You know, you've got the Dodgers facing the, the, the Tampa Bay Rays. Huge market in L.A., not so good market in Tampa, uh, but a pretty gritty team versus a super high-paid team. It's almost like Moneyball taking place in the World Series because you've got the I, – I, I think the whole – organization is like 30 or you know 40 million dollar payroll and the dodgers are 120 it'll be fun to watch but how many people are going to actually watch you know one of the things we've been keeping a close eye on and margaret and i have been talking about a lot is how bad viewership numbers are at uh uh, you know on tv ratings what are you watching have you been paying attention did you pay attention to the braves at all I was highly invested in the series. I mean, I didn't watch I, – I honestly did not watch any baseball in the regular season. I, I mean, what, they play 60 games yeah. maybe, 60, yep. 75, something like that with the games. playoffs yep. they went far. So I didn't watch any baseball in the regular season. I didn't watch the first and second rounds, but I did watch every game 
for the most part. I mean, some of them were late. Oh, like yeah. the game started at eight, and there was a couple nights, you know, where the games were ending after midnight, which is obscene. So, you know, for kids, unless it's a weekend, like it's tough to even let them watch the beginning of the game. But I was, I was definitely invested. Uh, the format, man, I have to tell you, I liked it. I, I liked the fact that they played a baseball game every day. Didn't take these day off, and it, you know, what could have been decided in five to six days was decided in five to six days it didn't stretch out over like 10 or 12 days so that that format i liked yeah i mean it makes it hard because that's that's a lot of that's a lot of ball for these guys but well sure it's great to watch i I loved having it on every night yeah i mean for me like i said selfishly as a fan um what already is a slower game at least hey if you lose you got you know get you know get up tomorrow and go what what i what I realized after talking to people that were more informed was that that format did not lend itself to the Braves because they had some starting pitchers that were hurt. They just, they, you know, literally had to use their bullpen for what game five to start the game. Here's my question from, from the Braves standpoint, they were probably what a year or two ahead of kind of schedule in terms of you know, think, where they, I think they were probably maybe a year ahead of schedule. I think the shortened season probably had something to do with it. The there's going to be some big moves if you think about the the economics of the team. You have a lot of young talent, and you had a guy like Ozuna came in who just totally kicked butt. But he's going to be a free yep. agent in the off season, and the Braves have got to sign him. I mean, the guy went after potential, you know, MVP cal- you know, caliber season, and then you're going to have I think Freddie coming up in the year after that. And then you have Albies and Ronald Acuna and Dansby Swanson. I mean, there's some really big names. Can you keep this whole team together in order for them to win a World Series? I think you could probably save Ozuna, who's going to make a pretty chunk, good chunk of change. But, I mean, man, when you talk about the fact that Albies is like 24 and Acuna is 23 and Swanson is what, 26, 27, and then you get some of their pitching back, Having Soroka and some of those guys come back, who and you know AJ Minter had a great season, so I it'll be it'll be something to keep a close eye on because they should be what the Dodgers were the last three or four years moving forward. The Braves should be able to take that crown and roll um, from here on out because if they can keep that team together, Austin Riley is my new favorite Brave. I'm hoping like he reminds me. I'm hoping that Ben and Andrew grow up to look like that, like six three, six four, two twenty five. And quick as you know, quick as lightning. <laughs> it was fun to watch, but anyway. Yeah, I mean they they have they have some great arms, some young arms, live arms, I guess, right? That's the term. But I feel like they still need like a super dominant pitcher. And one of the things that that turned the corner for the Royals, um, which was another small market team that built from the bottom up with guys uh, in their farm system, and didn't go out and spend a ton of money on free agents. Uh, but they did make a move, you know, late that season in the championship season and picked up a an Azuna type player. Now, they didn't sign him, but they won the World Series, you know, that year. And then he went on to get a big contract um, the following year. So I don't know. I feel like the Braves, uh, they they need like a, a an another they need another starting pitcher, like another dominant starting pitcher. But um, well, what you saw with some of these kids, if Ian Anderson, if Soroka comes back. Um, you know, Freed stays where he ended the season. Um, I'm, I think you're going to have a pretty dynamite one, two, three. Um, you know, we got that Cole Hamill signing, which is just weird. So I hope that that will go away. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, Kyle Wright, I think has got to come back to, he was injured. So, you could have four dynamite, very, very young pitchers, you know, pre-arbitration, and that could be kind one of hell like of a baseball days, team, right? Back in the day, that's when they exactly had Maddox, what it's like. Smoltz, Glavin, Avery. And, uh, I mean, you had those guys. When those guys, Maddox was the super vet, right? He came in, but you had Avery, Avery, Glavin, and Smoltz when they were young, just dynamite. And then you had the vets. You know Fred McGriff, and you know you had an emerging Dave Justice, and um, I mean, and then you, you yeah. got guys on this Braves team like Pache, who reminds me of Andrew Jones, looks just like him. 
Right. Dude, they got some dynamite talent. So anyway, I'm still an Indians fan. The Indians are going the other direction, but the Braves will be a bandwagon to jump on for sure. I just it's going to be fascinating to me how what they do to sign because they are not a big budget team. They you know they got a hundred million dollar I think pay- payroll, but they're not the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Yankees who go out and spend a tremendous amount of money. I mean they're a publicly traded team, right? and they're not and they're not going to be the Mets who just. Uh have officially gotten a new owner yeah courtesy of uh steve cohen and major league baseball owners who voted to approve the deal to the tune of what 1.6 billion yeah there's a lot of zeros so they're going to spend a lot of money on payroll so yeah yeah, i've always looked at the braves as kind of like payroll and somewhere between about six and twelve you know in the major leagues well and they're They're not they're not the milwaukee brewers they're not the tampa bay rays they're not the royals they're not the a's but they're definitely not, you know, the Angels, the the Dodgers, the yeah. Mets, the Yankees. I mean, I just looked it up. They were $92 million payroll. So there's a ton of space there to get to the tax threshold and all that stuff. But they'll never get close to it. They just We just got to see if they're going to sign some of those big names because you do have a lot of that young talent coming up at the same time. So anyway, good Braves talk. That's the chop house for you coming from the biz dads. I want to talk a little bit about some, some more sports and biz news, and then I want to get into our – new segment books with Andres, but uh, talk to me about this new sec rule. This is not because of the Georgia Alabama game. It's the different sec. Yeah. Yeah. This is not, no, this is not roll tide over the, the bulldogs. So the sec securities and exchange commission um, came out uh, recently with a, uh, with a rule proposal. Um, it's currently in a 30 day comment period. And basically what it is, is businesses who obviously have been impacted small businesses in particular by COVID are going to be in need of, of capital. You know, they're going to need to, to raise capital to, to get back on their feet and banks may or may not be in a position uh, to step up. So I think the thinking is um, by providing more of a, a flexibility for companies, smaller companies to go out and, and raise capital um, that that ought to be good for the economy. So that's kind of the high level and the reason why? Now, how they're changing the rule is historically, if you were going to go out and raise capital for a company, uh, maybe it was a real estate venture or, or a uh, let's just say a, a, a startup business, if you engaged, uh, you know, me, Brad, to go out and raise capital for your business, and I brought investors into your, you know, partnership, you know, and was paid for those services. Uh, as a result of uh, how much money I brought in, um, that starts to get into a securities transaction. So the proposed rule, and you would therefore, I would therefore need to be licensed um, as a you know securities representative with FINRA and the SEC, and therefore I could take compensation. Uh, and that's that's to make sure that you know the security is being sold to somebody that is sophisticated and understands the risks and understands the illiquidity. It's, it's not an ETF, a mutual fund. This is not something you can call your advisor and sell. So the the proposal is that small businesses would be in a position to hire what's called a finder. Um, there's two different proposed categories of finders, uh, finder one and finder two. And those individuals would not require would not be required to be licensed um, and so if this goes through uh, and it's, you know, maybe 30 to 60 days uh, before a final rule would be issued, it would basically provide companies the ability to go out and engage somebody who's not registered, frankly, doesn't necessarily have to have any particular professional experience, but maybe just is connected to what are called accredited investors. So wealthy individuals or families Maybe they know them through their country club. Maybe they know them through their alumni networks. Maybe they know them through uh, their, you know, their LinkedIn professional networks. Um, they would be basically be able to go out and solicit those individuals um, and be paid for raising capital for for businesses and for ventures. So, look, there's a there's likely to be um, modifications and adjustments, but that's kind of the high level. Um, and and look, I mean, if it if it does go through, I mean, my takeaway is <laughs> you're going to see a lot more uh, 
you know, this is not stuff that's going to be, you know, sold through the local coffee shop because, again, individuals have to be accredited and there are certain minimum net worth requirements to be considered an accredited investor. For example, you have to have a, a minimum net income of a couple hundred thousand dollars um, in each of the last few years or with your spouse, three hundred thousand dollars and and um, and, you know, minimum net worth has to exclude your primary residence. So there's you know, there's there's still requirements that those uh, transactions and deals be presented to accredited investors. But but it is really a game changer in terms of small businesses and, and small ventures um, and large ventures, frankly, being able to go out and and access more capital. So more to come. Who, who's the most impacted by this? Like, give me an example. Give us some examples of the types of businesses that would be out there that could do this. Uh, I mean, if you were a, if you were a franchise restaurant business, for example, and you've been crushed by COVID, yeah. okay, and your expansion plans uh, were to open up in Georgia, Florida, and the Carolinas, you know, over the next three years, and and you know you were you were you know three stores into a 10, 12, 15 store expansion plan. Well, COVID rocked your business, right? So you've been just hanging on. The expansion plans have been put on the shelf. And now banks are like, I'm sorry, we're not touching the restaurant business. Like, it's too risky. So instead of being able to raise debt, uh, maybe now you have to go out and raise equity, which means you're going to be giving away a part of your company. Mm-hmm. But in order to raise equity for your company, you need to have a network of wealthy people because maybe a foundation or an endowment or a family office is not going to take a risk right now on a franchise restaurant concept. But hey, maybe there's a a lot of people that made a living in the restaurant industry and they know the food and beverage business and they're like, hey, I, I wouldn't bet against this concept. So, you know, that individual may need, you know, working capital. They may need two or three or four million dollars of equity just to get the store expansion plan going again before they can go get construction financing to go build new stores. So, I mean, that's a that's an easy one. Um, so and, and in layman's you, terms. If I go in and, and I re- remember our last conversation about the SPACs, um, is there a model to where you do start to create some type of funds that do this specifically? Like, is there a business there kind of where these SPACs have come kind of come well, out? Well, yeah, so, so SPACs are kind of on the other end of the spectrum in a way because the SPAC, as you, as you, um, I, what I was trying to explain with the SPAC, and I, it's complicated, but basically the SPAC is you're raising money from from individuals yeah. and institutions, and you're using the proceeds of that com- of that of that capital raise mm-hmm. to then go and acquire a business. Right. So the so the individuals that would be investing in a SPAC are basically buying what will be um, eventually a public. I mean, it's a it's a public security. But isn't, and so, there, isn't there, a, I know, I understand, besides the public security part, isn't there an opportunity for a business to raise blank check capital that then go buy equity in some of these small businesses? Yeah, I mean, you could you could raise a SPAC and there are several groups out there that are raising basically blank check companies and their prospectus will outline what is the expertise of the management team and maybe the expertise of the management team is going and acquiring certain types of businesses and running them um, and maybe they're going to make uh, maybe they're going to do what we call you know a roll-up play so they're going to buy several businesses roll them up and that's going to be you know what they use the proceeds of the the reason there's been so much interest in the SPACs and the reason this potential rule change is potentially big for small businesses um, and other types of ventures that are seeking capital, equity capital, is, you know, we're about to enter a, and already are, um, in just a very, very precarious economic um, environment. I mean, you look at the equity markets, the stock markets, and you would think that everything is okay, generally speaking. Um, but, But everything is not okay. Unemployment is, you know, super high still. And while banks are lending and people are going and buying homes um, and a lot of people were out buying cars during COVID, there's still a lot of underlying structural issues out there and small businesses probably been hit the hardest. So I, I think there's an opportunity between 
things like the SPACs, if you want to invest in management teams and their ability to go out and identify private businesses and take them public, or if you're you know, an accredited investor and you want to invest in small companies, kind of what I call Main Street America companies um, or Main Street real estate deals, um, there's going to be a lot of that stuff out there. One of the things that's happening across financial services, broadly speaking, is there's been a democratization of what are called alternative investments. And, and what that means is, you know, historically, your options were to buy stocks and bonds. And if you didn't buy stocks and bonds, you know, you were basically putting your money in cash or in money market mutual funds. Now, with, you know, the, the advent of things like funding through, you know, mobile platforms and microfinancing and being able to raise small amounts of capital from large numbers of people, things like that, mm-hmm. Reg A plus, Reg A's, these types of things, the jumpstart our business stuff, uh, plus now potentially this, this activity around changing the rules uh, around finders is the regulators are starting to, you know, and have been here recently leaning more towards Wall Street and saying, you know, we're going to kind of pull the reins back a little bit. We're going to give you guys more opportunities and gals, more opportunity to go out and raise money. And we're going to give investors, you know, and it's controversial. We're going to give investors more choices, more options. Wow. And there's a lot of people that think, hey, wait, you know, we did this before, you know, 2008. You saw a lot of predatory lending. You saw a lot of people get sold stuff that they didn't understand. And Wall Street was, you know, taking advantage of people. And there were certainly some bad actors. But, you know, one of the things that's happening with, you know, look like look at um, look at Robinhood, the 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 mobile app. I yeah. mean, you can literally now buy shares in Google, shares in Nike, shares in Facebook, Percentages and that's, of shares. that's the democratization of the capital markets. Yeah, you know, biz dads, you're welcome. Dropping knowledge on you straight from Andres's desk. You're welcome. You're welcome. Our ratings just dropped by twelve percent. No, man, people love that kind of shit. They're gonna they're gonna pay attention. They're gonna go. Oh, I feel smarter now. You're welcome. All right, man. Continuing on the trend of getting smarter, we all read to our kids. We tell them all the time, you know, got to read every night. This is one of the best things you'll ever do to continue your education. Stuff that I didn't pay attention to and now I don't read enough. Hit me with some books recommended by Andres. And I'm going to share a couple with you that I've started because you have inspired me. Yeah, well... Hey, I first of all thank you for for adding this segment because um, I am uh, I'm I'm a nerd and uh, I'm I'm a bookie. Credit to my mom for that. I'm I'm a little too one dimensional in my book choices. I, le- I read a lot more nonfiction. Um, I've I've started to read more fiction in the last few years. My mom's you know been recommending that and pushing that. So credit to her. Thanks, mom. Um, but two books that I'm reading right, well, Great one job, that I man. finished and one that I'm reading right now that I'd recommend to, uh, to our 12 listeners. Um, if you're, if you're fascinated by the idea of leadership, we've talked about Arthur Blank tonight and, and we've, uh, talked about an amazing contribution he made to the Atlanta community and, ch- and children's healthcare, 200 million bucks. Um, if you're interested in, in the kind of the, how those leaders across all industries, politics, business, sports, the nonprofit world. There's a great book called How to Lead, and it's it's by um, a private equity executive who runs a private equity firm called the Carlisle Group. His name is David Rubenstein, and it's a fascinating profile. Um, they're short profiles. Basically, what he's done over the last ten or fifteen years, he's had a interview show in D.C. It's, called, it's a, basically the Economic Club of DC and he brings on an individual like an Eric Schmidt or a Jeff Bezos or an Oprah Winfrey and interviews him for an hour. And he's turned those interviews now into a show on Bloomberg. Uh, and he's also now turned that into a profile uh, of those leaders. So go check out how to lead. It's a quick read and uh, you know, you don't have to read all 30 profiles. There's probably, you know, some that people will like better than others, depending on who you're a fan of. Uh, but it's everybody from Yo-Yo Ma to Oprah Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, uh, Jack Nicholas. So there's something for everybody, I guess, is what I'd say. All right, send me your copy. Um, that sounds like something I'd actually enjoy reading because I don't have to read it all at once. Yeah. The second one is, uh, this one's a little bit more personal. 
So we haven't talked a lot about girl dads on this show. Um, that was a, a term that became very popular, uh, I, I don't know, a year ago or so. And uh, and there was a lot of social media trending around that term. Well, I'm a I'm a girl dad. My daughter, Frankie, is eight. And um, I think it started to, you know, I'm kind of a late, I guess a late bloomer. It started to occur to me that, you know, the world is, unfortunately, it's not really fair to women a lot of times. I mean, we all know that, right? They're not paid as much. They're overlooked for promotions. You know, there's all kinds of examples. So we don't have to, unfortunately, we don't have to, to look very hard. But there's a great book right now that's out um, called What Girls Need. It's by uh, Marissa Porges, PhD. She runs, a, she's the head of school for an all-girls school outside of Philadelphia. How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women. And it's it it I'm only about halfway through it, but a lot of the the book is about things that you can do, and it's not just for girls; it could be for boys too. How to teach uh, your girls how to advocate for themselves? How to teach girls how to um, use their voice? So, if you are um, a parent and you're you know maybe you have a, a daughter or a son who's maybe on the shy side or maybe on the quiet side. There's some real practical tips and ideas and stories and suggestions about how you can um, talk to your child and talk to them about um, how they can contribute in class and contribute um, on the sports field in, in different ways. And so when I think about my daughter tonight, I was putting her to bed and, you know, I kind of said, OK, I'm not going to have my phone. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to sit there and listen. She read, you know, for 20 minutes, she read Harry Potter and then. I pulled out this book and we went through what does it mean to advocate for yourself for 10 minutes. And we talked about some things that are going on at school. She's in third grade about how she can advocate for herself and how she can, you know, use her voice. And so I'm going to try to make it, I'm going to try to be more intentional, I guess, about having that conversation with her because I, I think as parents, our job is to try to prepare our kids for all the realities that are going to hit them in the face. And we're going to, we're going to talk about some of the challenges that happen, you know, in life here in a moment um, with a really sad and, and devastating story. But I look at it as a, as a, you know, as a book, as an investment in trying to better myself, um, but also bring some tools and some suggestions to my daughter and, and to my boys uh, about how they can become more prepared for the eventual realities that yeah. they're going to deal with. So important. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, I think one of the things that, and the only thing I would say is it is unfortunate that we have separated um, male and female boys and girls, and, and that there's a need to talk about one versus the other for lack of a better uh, term. But at the end of the day, all these kids need those conversations. Boys need to learn how to be respectful uh, of everybody, but particularly need to be respectful of women. Women need to learn that it's not all teacups and Barbie dolls and, you know, all that in between. I mean, it's, you know, I am, I guess, one that grew up in a traditional gender role family. And I am, you know, building a more gender, gender, gender neutral uh, family, you know, here with our, our makeup. But we're still two boys and my world is still surrounded by, you know, testosterone and active boys. But at the end of the day, it's still important to make sure that we we raise these kids, that they find their purpose and that they they have self-confidence and, you know, they have all of the attributes that we're going to make them great adults and respectful adults and kind adults. So thanks for that. Thanks for sharing. I will tell you. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Right. One one other yeah. little tidbit about the book. And, you know, I look at and check out a lot of books and I always look to see two things whenever I'm looking for a new book. I always look to see who's endorsed it. And I read the bio on the back of the book about the author. So especially when it comes to stuff like this, I want to, you know, I want to read a book by somebody who's, who has kids, who's raising kids, who's in the, who's in the fight, right. Um, who's in the mix and Marissa, she's pretty badass, dude. She's, uh, 
She's currently head of school for a 130-year-old all-girls school outside of Philly, but prior to that, she served in the Obama administration. She was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, she's a PhD. And then, oh, she just also happened to be one of only eight women in a 200-wing um, uh, uh, aviator uh, squadron. So, I mean, she's a damn fighter pilot. So Crazy. it's... um. It's amazing, and I, I, I don't know that that really, you know, all that accomplishment. I'm like, this, she, this person's got to have something really good to say, and and she does. So I'd recommend checking it out. Very cool. Well, I will tell you, part of this uh, big ass calendar club program that we're doing with Jesse Itzler, one of the things we have to do is read a book a month, and walk a do- watch a documentary a month. So I'm gonna start chiming in more uh, in our books with Andres segment because I'm reading Limitless right now. Just started Jim Quick, really about kind of the limits or the lack of limits that our brain um, has and the ability to continue to grow, grow your ability, uh, your mental capacity. Pretty interesting stuff. Let's jump into a quick little cul-de-sec chat. So Andres, we've, we've foreshadowed it, talked about it enough. And I want to make this quick because uh, I've spent a week now, um, week and a half talking about this, dealing with this. Um, but it's something I thought was very important to share. So if you'll give me a second, um, you and I have talked about this, but most of the folks listening don't know. We had a terrible tragedy. I'll try to get through this too without getting emotional, but we had a terrible tragedy in our neighborhood a week ago Sunday and uh, a 16 year old boy made the decision that none of us ever want our kids to have to face. And that's, you know, they no longer needed to have a place, um, on this planet. And he, he took his own life. We are close with the family, as close as you know, neighbors. You would you would say they're neighbors and friends, and I, it hit me hard. It really, was part of the reason we didn't do the show last week. Andres and Twist were kind enough to bear with me. The details of this aren't important, except for the fact that this kid, if profiled by those of us that knew him, probably in a million years never would have guessed this would have been the end result. He was always probably one of the most polite, well-mannered young men, 16-year-old boys I'd ever seen. He was very unique in that, you know, he always read. He made you look like me. I mean, that boy had his head in a book at every waking moment. Very smart. Uh, Was on the fencing team, you know, uh, in school. Was was a scout on his way to Eagle Scout. Campbell IB program. Um, International Baccalaureate program. None of these things would seem to be signs and i i just i I bring this up only because a couple things over the last week have have happened and truly impacted me one was i had a chance to talk with the mom and i mean i love this family and and their spirit and the, the four of them were always doing things together um and she said something that will echo in my brain for forever and that was that they had gone on a trip and everything seemed normal and um, that COVID had played such a big role in in this and as school was getting ready to start back up and as a trip that they had taken as a family uh, everything was seeming to get back to normal and she said um, she let her guard down and that's the first time I've actually been able to say that without getting emotional that the imagine imagine saying that imagine being in that situation um on sunday th- that night I, I spoke i was i was fortunate enough to be asked to help with an amazing celebration of life on sunday and was so outside of my element to add a little bit of levity to this you know i have a zoom account that we use in our neighborhood and because of that they asked me if I could help basically with the IT setup. And now because of COVID, only 50 people were allowed inside. There were 200 plus people coming. You know, we had to figure out a way to get this outside and broadcast it. So we were going to zoom it. And that turned into this huge AV production, which I am not equipped for. And thank God for amazing neighbors and amazing people and friends of the family who turned around to help. Because you could have only seen me sweating bullets, man, trying to figure out how to truly honor this family and not screw it up. And that was my biggest fear. Could I not screw this up? Um, but I knew everything was going to be all right. And I knew that, that because of what we were celebrating, it would be, it, it would work out. 
and and again everybody came together. So the celebration of life was incredible. You had all of these amazing people came out to celebrate um, this kid. And I say all this because it's pretty hard to not think selfishly in an environment like like the last week and a half where I think about what I am doing and how I am parenting my kids and what to be on the lookout for and how to have conversations with them. And a good friend of mine said, you know, things like this happen, you know, you personally need to, to walk, talk, and be kind. Walk so that you can just get comfortable with where you're at. Take the time that you need. Talk so that you know people are there to support you and, and be kind because you have no idea what anybody else is going through at that given moment. And it was just great advice, so simple. And it's what I had to do several times last week um, because Andres with two boys, you know, an epidemic that is sweeping our country with, with teenage boys that are not able to handle anxiety or stress of life, that the world of social media, and when our kids are older, there will be so many risks so many traps out there. And all I can say is that I hope we all take the time to properly be present with our kids, not over parent, not over analyze. I I'm, I'm saying this to myself because whether it's sports or school or scouts or just behavior over parenting, over coaching, over analyzing. And I start to see in my own kids, this level of anxiety that, uh, you know, and I think from, for the most part, for mine, it's, it, you know, it's fairly low, but every little thing they're hard on themselves for. We had an incident on Saturday in the flag football game where Ben got emotional because he was so hard on himself because he wasn't playing well. And Andres, I couldn't help but connect all of the things that had happened for that week and said, this kid's eight years old. This is such an insignificant part of his life. Why does he feel it's so important that he needs to get worked up and and animated and emotional about it? And how in the world do I do the right things to fix it? And then Monday, they get off the bus. They're talking with other kids on the bus. And they come upstairs and they ask the question of basically saying how they heard things transpired or how it happened. It wasn't accurate, but the kids on the bus, an elementary school bus are talking about things that they heard. How do you address that with your kids? How do you answer that question? I had to freaking Google it. (laughs) And I'm sorry for taking a long time here, but at the end of the day, man, I just hope we all can celebrate the amazing and unique people in our lives and, and find a way to be kind and find a way to support others and to find a way to, to make sure that we're doing everything we can. So anyway, I, I apologize for that, but it was just a, something I had to share. I've shared it now probably on three or four different times, just talking with people and you've been amazing. So thank you for being a great friend and talking through this with me and Margaret Ann walks with Heidi and, and whatnot. And it's not our place to air anyone else's laundry, but I know that so many people's lives were touched in a positive way that um, if lives are saved because of this, that will be what this incredible young man intended. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want to tell you, Brad, you know, you, you sharing that, I think probably, you know, for you probably helps process and talking through it. Heidi, my wife, often, you know, jokes and is just like, God, you beat an issue up. You just, you know, sometimes it's just, it, it, it's just happened. And for me growing up, my, I'm, uh, my mom is a social worker. She's, she's been a mental health professional for basically 25 years. And she went back to school uh, when we were little and finished her undergraduate degree and then, you know, went to night school and got her master's degree. And where I'm going with this is, you know, I grew up in a house where, you know, the issues were just out on the table and we were talking about this and, and it just hit like when you shared this story and I could tell knowing who you are and who, you know, your wife is and your family is in that community. 
I know you know everybody. You you you're a leader in that community, and so I I I just felt for you, but I felt like I needed to process, even though I've never met this young man, hearing and understanding who he was. My heart was just you know feeling ripped apart for his his family, and for you. So we were we were talking about it and I was just asking questions to my mom because she's, you know, over the course of her career, she's counseled and done therapy with countless young, you know, young men, you know, teenagers, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old and girls. And one of the things that was really interesting was that, and it helped me to think about being a parent because I have a girl and two boys is that boys actually have more emotional issues, more 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 things that um, weigh heavily on them that that probably they would benefit from therapy, but they go less, you know. And 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 I'm not suggesting that that didn't happen here, but what I'm saying is, I think that mental health has become more accepted to talk about, and Absolutely. and I think that's a good thing. And I think the more that people can be open and be willing to sh- be vulnerable, is better. I know that our kids this year at school are now doing um, a, a special, and I'm sure Ben and Andrew are, where you know they're basically doing a little breakout once a week on their emotional well-being. Ben, and I think that that's, that's happening because of COVID and because of all the pressures. And I think the other thing that hit me so much, and you said this in your comments, was and our kids are too young to be on social media, but it's coming, man. Like you said, like the traps are coming. Um, we're four or five years away from that, maybe. And maybe we're not. Maybe we're two or three years away from it at, at 11, 12 years old. It comes you know, kids are getting year. phones. Yeah. And what I, my point is, is, you know, my mom made the point that social media has, has become how a lot of kids form their identity. And they get feedback on their identity. And, you know, if, if, you know, that, and that can, that can, that can be, that can be a really dangerous combination. So I guess what I would, I would end with, and and you deserve the last word here, man, but I would end with something that she said to me when, when we were exchanging some texts was, we just need to stop and slow down the mad race to some imagined success and cherish the still living people around us by being fully present with them moment after moment, not talking, just being with them, smiling, holding and listening, period. And, right. and I mean, I, I think that you, what you just said about overcoaching and overanalyzing and Overparenting, I think that, you know, that that tied it off for me is just being there, being there for your kids and realizing like it's it's a gift and it's precious and it's it's not promised. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's really an incredible bit of advice and and, and doesn't need to be summed up other than that. But I mean, it, at the end of the day, Andres, um, we have got to spend more time with each other whether it be neighbors, friends, family, parents, kids, we have got to spend more time together being kind away from electronics. Um, I can't tell you how excited I am about camping this weekend um, to just get my kids off of an iPad. And we're going to camp and celebrate this young man because that's what he loved to do. He will change lives because of the struggle that he faced. And, the best way that he can be honored is his, in his final words was thank you. His final words, he th- took the time to thank the people around him. And just think about that. Think about what happens in your mind during that process. I can't even begin to, to, to think about it. I've, I've never really, I think, truly been in that situation. But to stop and at that point to say thank you. That shows the kind of person that um, he he was is, and don't be afraid to tell it to other people. Don't be afraid to to say a kind word, to give a hug. Forget COVID. <laughs> I mean, 
we got to get past all of this because we need to start spending more time together. And I hope what comes out of this pandemic and what comes out of horrible tragedies like this is that people understand that in your hometown, in your neighborhood, in your home is where you have got to start. Who gives a shit what somebody thinks about your photo on Instagram or Facebook or what your opinion is. Keep it to yourself if you are only doing it to get a reaction. Be, make friends, colleagues, and, and and be kind. All right, Andres. It's hard to end a show this way, but let's do something a little different. No Final Four this week, but let's challenge everybody that's listening to go out this week and do four kind and thoughtful things. Just go do something thoughtful, something kind, something you wouldn't normally do, and that will be the final four for this week's Biz Dads. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you talking about it with me. I love you, and let's get back to our normal stuff moving forward. Thanks for being a good friend. Thanks, Biz Dads. We're out. <laughs>